Hey, we're learning how to live in our minds one day at a time with God. And I want to talk to you today about how finally to come out of COVID. Now, I'm not talking about doing it externally. I'm not talking about masks or vaccinations. I mean, in your spirit. You might have read an article by Adam Grant not long ago in the New York Times. It's attracted a lot of attention. He talks about how there is a word for those blah feelings that you were experiencing, about how a lot of folks right now don't seem terribly excited about 2021. They have a hard time concentrating. They're still binging on Netflix. They don't, for some reason, want to get out of bed in the morning. And it's not burnout, he says. There's not, not that they don't have any energy. It's not depression. Clinical depression is something different. The word is languishing. There's a sense of languishing. He actually says it may be the most prominent emotion in 2021. And languishing is mostly the absence of something. In the field of psychology over the last 20 or 25 years, as folks have wanted to learn more, study more about what happens when life goes right, the word they've landed on to describe human well-being is flourishing. Now, in the Bible, there's actually a word for flourishing. In the, in the Old Testament, the prophets use the word shalom. When God and human life and all of creation are webbed together with a sense of mutual delight and servanthood and beauty, that is shalom. And we're able to experience that. That is flourishing from the Bible's point of view. In Jesus' day, he simply talked about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where things are the way that God wants them to be. Like the beauty of this place right now. And that little bird right there, if you can hear him. And that's a sense of flourishing. When we languish, we experience the absence of flourishing. The absence of the power, the spirit of God, spirit is energy, personal energy, the spirit of God in our life. All right, so now I want to take you to the saying for today. Last couple of days, I had been down in Carmel with some pastors, just having a remarkably wonderful time with them. Most of them, all of them are younger than me, considerably younger. And today we were sitting around the table and one of them was asking that perennial question, how do I know God's will for my life? How can I decide what I ought to do going forward? And we were talking about how sometimes people mistake passivity for spirituality. Folks will say things like, well, I'm not going to make any calls or initiate anything about that job because if I get the job, I want to make sure that it was God, not me. But, uh, you know, paralysis is not the same thing as spiritual maturity. And not doing anything is no guarantee that whatever does happen, it was God who did it. And we were talking about that. And one of the guys said something I've never heard before. He said, this is kind of a cheesy saying. And wasn't originally with me. Somebody else said it. But God doesn't steer parked cars. God doesn't steer parked cars. In other words, if you think about a car, you think about what is required to steer that car. You might think the first prerequisite is a steering wheel. But actually, it's not. I've been in the car with little kids that want to play in a parked car. And they mess with the steering wheel all the time. And it doesn't work. If you want to steer a car, it's got to be moving. And God himself will not move your car to act, to choose, to take initiative. Those are powers that God has given to you that are glorious things. And so often people will say, man, I wish I knew what God wanted me to do with my life. I wish I knew where I ought to go or what job I ought to take or what ministry I ought to get involved in. Or, And the car's not moving. God cannot steer a parked car. So my friend's not going to take credit for it. I guess I said that. 
Because God doesn't want you to languish. God wants you to come out of COVID. God doesn't steer a parked car. So take that with you as you go into this day. In the ancient world, people recognized what a problem languishing was. This is not widely known. In the early church, languishing was actually one of the seven deadly sins, and it's called sloth. Now, in our day, it's hard for people to take sloth seriously as a sin. There's actually a book. It's a parody of self-help books by an author named uh, uh, Wendy Wasserstein, and it's just called Sloth. It's a guide to becoming a sloth. You can choose not to respond, she writes in the jacket cover. Readers of this book will find out the importance of lethargiosis, the process of eliminating energy and drive, the vital first step in becoming a sloth. To help you attain the perfect state of indolent bliss, the book offers a wealth of self-help aids. Readers will find the sloth songbook, sloth breakfast bars, packed with sugar additives and a delicious touch of ambient, sloth documentaries, such as the author's 12-hour epic on Thomas Aquinas, and the Sloth Network, Channel 823, programming designed not to stimulate or challenge in any way. People in our day often think, you know, the problem is just we're too busy, we're workaholics, and uh, sloth might even be something that we aspire to. In the ancient world, lethargy or sloth, acedia was the old word for it, was not simply the refusal to do something. It was not what we think of as laziness. It was resistance to doing the thing that needs to be done. You might think not so much about resistance to work, as man, we got people at work a lot in our day. It's the resistance to love. Thomas Aquinas said that it's actually the resistance to the divine in you. And the idea is that God places his Holy Spirit in people and calls us to respond to him all the time. Rebecca DeYoung, in a wonderful book on the seven deadly sins, gives an example of this. The husband and wife are married to each other, and they quarrel, and they retreat to separate rooms. And they know the right thing to do would be to move back towards the other person, to say, I am sorry, to have the difficult conversation. But that would take energy. That would take work. And they refuse to do the one thing that needs to be done. They refuse to love. And, of course, the problem is God cannot steer a parked car. So if you want guidance from God, you need to be taking action. You need to be initiated. Now, that doesn't mean that you exhaust yourself. If you are tired, it may be what needs to be done is rest. Very interesting. Adam Grant writes about this in his article. There's actually a word, I think it's in China, when it's translated, it's bedtime revenge procrastination. And the idea is there's people who feel like they are so robbed of freedom, of vitality and aliveness during the day, that when it's nighttime, they put off going to bed just to take revenge on the day for stealing their freedom to do whatever they want to do. And they ended up more exhausting than they were. They're busy doing stuff. They're not doing the one thing that's needed in that moment, which is actually rest. You might remember the story of Mary and Martha. Martha's very busy. She's working real hard in the kitchen, real ticked off because Mary's just sitting, listening to Jesus, and Martha goes to Jesus to whine about it, and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are busy with many things. Mary has chosen the one thing needed. She is sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha's busy. Martha's the sloth, not Mary. 
Because Martha is putting off doing the one thing that is needed. And in the days of the early church, uh, what was called the demon of Assyria would go after monks in their cells trying to convince them that what they were doing doesn't matter. Uh, one of the spiritual guides of that day, Evagrius, describes it like this. The demon of Assyria, also called the noonday demon, attacks the monk. First, he makes it appear that the sun moves slowly or not at all, and the day seems 50 hours long. That's languishing. Then he compels the monk to look constantly towards the windows, to jump out of the cell, to watch the sun, to see how far it is from three o'clock, to look this way and that, to do anything other than prayer. Prayer doesn't matter. Further, he instills in him a dislike for the place and for his state of life itself, for manual labor, and also the idea that love has disappeared from among the brothers and there is no one to console him. Languish, languish, languish. But of course, God cannot steer a parked car. So now today, you may not know exactly what it is that God wants you to do. That's okay. If there's something God wants you to know, God is perfectly able of telling you that thought. In the meantime, today, act. Choose. Live as though what you are doing matters. When I was with these pastors, part of me felt... Uh, uh, at times sorrow or even self-pity around, man, I kind of miss being able to dream about the church. And the thought that God gave me over these last couple of days is there is much for you to do. Like this moment right now, what I'm doing right now, this matters. You can encourage somebody. You can write somebody an email. You can do somebody a favor. You can learn something. You can pray something. Do anything. Rest. Just remember, today as you go through the day, God doesn't steer a parked car. And then have a great weekend. Uh, go to a community of faith and, and worship or do that however you're able to do it where you're living right now. And I will see you again on Monday.